Hello, everybody, and welcome to Candid Combos with Celia Werner. I know that we were on a hiatus, but we are back and we are ready for action. And today, today is episode 62, and we're going to be talking about one of my favorite things, which is filmmaking. And, you know, in the world that we live in, there's not as much filmmaking going on, but there's a lot of creative people working on different projects, whether that's writing, whether that's producing, or whether that's, you know, in my case, like, doing shoots and doing live streams. Uh, so we have uh, the president of the Astoria Filmmakers uh, Club today uh, as our guest, and I'm going to have him introduce himself because I'm not going to do him justice. But here we go. Phil, welcome to Candid Combos. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. No problem. So, Phil, I would love for you to give everyone a bit of a rundown on... Uh, why you're here, what what you do that makes you the president uh, that brought you here today, um, because uh, I think you have so many awesome projects and giving a little background will give them a little bit more information as to why we are talking about writing and producing and acting. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, um, COVID-19 has definitely had an enormous impact on well, the entire planet and uh, in the world of filmmaking, we like to tell stories both on planet and off planet. And um, I guess uh, it's, it's, I think it's really a blessing in disguise to actually have like the world come to a bit of a reset, gives us a little bit of uh, an opportunity to reflect and uh, see where uh, we've actually come from and to actually maybe even redirect our path because we're a little bit I, maybe off, like uh, off the path. And uh, now's the right time to actually tell stories and uh, mm -hmm slow down, start writing about the things that are very important to you um, in society and uh, start creating a more artistic, um, more, more artistic, I guess, uh, ventures to really like try to try to like maybe uh, push the envelope and say, this is where we are. This is where we want to go. How do we get there? You know, and uh, to, I guess answer to the other question, how I became the president of the Filmmakers Club, it was really by uh, it was it was really by accident. Um, it never was really intended to develop into an organization, but there was a, a lack of leadership in the entire in the entire community. Um, nothing like the Astoria Filmmakers Club has existed in Queens before. Um, we do have different film venues where you have 48-hour film festivals, but not really a community-based program where we could actually congregate on a regular basis to even meet each other. And about a year ago, that. That's uh, how it all started. Um, there was no platform for any of us to meet. So I just said, all right, I put up a flag. Um, I'm going to be here every Wednesday. The next thing you know, after six, seven months, right before COVID, we had about 150 people uh, come, network, meet. And uh, we had about uh, one or two big event parties to actually have a majority of them all come together in the same room. That's awesome. And uh, I actually met you through uh, a movers meeting. So our friends out there that know the movers, uh, <laughs> it's a it's a great place to network. And I love that you you kind of are filling a need within the Queens community uh, with this club because I know for me it's hard to find people that know about filmmaking in my direct. Like I'm not I'm like. 15 minutes away from Astoria, but finding people that are close by that are knowledgeable in these things is not always the easiest thing. And maybe you need a, a camera guy or you need a producer. Something like this club can really bring people together to elevate all of our projects. Exactly that. Um, and that was uh, pretty much the driving factor is that it was supposed to be community driven and really help uh, feed the needs of where people were lacking their projects. And uh, that's where we're at right now. It just got to a point where the community was big enough to actually create our own original content and then keep everybody uh, sharper, I guess you could say, have you like uh, develop your craftsmanship on, uh, on and off the screen. Actors, filmmakers, cameramen, writers, everybody could just uh, start creating their own, their own projects and prepare you for the bigger opportunity. You know, it's not intended to... Uh, replace uh, the ultimate goal of joining the Screen Actors Guild or uh, becoming an Oscar uh, qualified craftsman, as you would put it. But develop your skills in the meantime, because there's, like, like, like we said, um, there's nothing uh, from now until then to prepare you for those opportunities. And that's what uh, my intention is to actually have, is that the club would actually prepare you for the bigger opportunities, because it really is only a matter of time. 
Yeah, and I think it's great to have a resource for that because I know as a freelancer, I, I have gone through many situations that I know other freelancers have gone through, but having that network to be like, hey, like, what was the process on this? Or how did you guys get insurance for that? Or like just the different steps in the process is so valuable. And I mean, like for someone like me that goes live and gives it like advice, like I can only give so much advice. I, I need my, I need advice as well. Um, <laughs> but uh, just being able to come together as a collective is so powerful. Um, like what, what types of people are in the club? Like how, how, how does one join the club and like, who should they expect to see within that club? It's, uh, it's been so, <laughs> I, it, it really has been such a journey because uh, um, you're going to definitely get a lot of bad apples along the way. Uh, the big apple is, is without question an orchard of many different breeds of apple and there are bad apples. Uh, I didn't mean to actually make a pun, whatever. <laughs> anyway, um, but uh, it really, honestly, like the people that show up are the ones who are looking for the opportunity um, to get better. Um, those are the kind of people you're going to find immediately uh, if and when you do decide to come to an event at the Astoria Filmmakers Club. We have no memberships. We have no dues yet. Um, uh, we are a nonprofit and uh, preparing to become a 501c3. Our, all our paperwork is being processed. Um, we do have a board of directors. We do have a constitution. It is working. We'd like to actually have a launch event, God willing, but uh, COVID permitting. Uh, we're just going to take our time, play it out, and see how it goes. And right now, just to become a member, it's very low key. Uh, we do have a private group page on Facebook where you can introduce yourself, kind of just showcase some of your past works or just honestly, um, we have a website uh, now that we're about to launch. I think it's pretty much ready. It's uh, uh, afc.moreinfo at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. Uh, we'll send you some information, maybe a quick little survey to give us a general idea on uh, your background, your skill set, what it is you're probably looking for. We have 200 emails already listed in the club, so people are available to collaborate and network. And I'm sure there's somebody that you can niche with very well to develop and enhance your career. And you just basically got to show up. Um, it's a, it's been happening every single week. Every Wednesday, we usually meet online on a private Zoom chat meeting. Come in, introduce yourself. Or um, sometimes now it's on Thursdays and Fridays, depending on if it's a, a writer's networking or producer uh, only uh, type of a collective happening, but everything is all through Facebook on the private page mostly. That's awesome. And I mean, what's easier than that? Like hopping on a Zoom meeting, like you don't have to go anywhere. So it is uh, COVID safe. And, uh, you know, just, you're, good. you're good. You're good. No mask. You, you don't have to try and breathe like through, no. you know, a mask the whole time. So, uh, Phil. Yes. We live in a crazy time. And I know that all of us have been evolving. Like I am, I am your behind the camera person and I have been out in front of the camera for the past couple of months, uh, having obviously conversations on this show. Uh, what are, what are the types of projects that you personally are working on right now? Uh, I know that you are working on a really cool one that involves Broadway. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, that's the, that's the big show, um, right now. It's actually called uh, Brave Hearts for Broadway. And it's got a very unique twist. Um, as you know, there's been uh, like the Disney sing-alongs and ABC. They did all the sing-alongs on uh, TV for the first couple of months, which was fantastic. Um, but you see on the Internet, um, these other types of collective uh, sing-along choirs online. So um, this project is going to be something similar to that, except um, we're going to be singing original Broadway songs, Broadway style show, um, show tunes. Um, but the twist is the frontline workers are actually going to be uh, singing this time. Um, there's a lot of uh, first responders who, uh, you know, did get an opportunity to uh, serve the community as a, a firefighter, a police officer, a nurse. Um, but they did not actually make it or they just chose not to uh, be on Broadway and do shows, do film and everything like that. So this is an opportunity to actually, you know, um, thank them for their, all the work and the sacrifice that they've actually uh, dedicated and give them a platform to actually shine. So Brave Hearts for Broadway is uh, a choir of frontline workers that will be singing original uh, music for uh, now the Actors Fund because uh, Broadway is shut down. And uh, mm -hmm. they, they there's some shows that may uh, shut down for good indefinitely and never recover. 
So this is actually to help all those families, all those union workers, all those actors who are completely shut down and out of work. We want to do a fundraiser and a benefit for them. That's awesome. And I'm going to see, let, I think I have your sizzle reel. Let's see if I can get this going. Well, yeah, sure. There we go. One second. Let me fake, make this full screen and we will watch this back. I'm a PR nurse, I'm also a playwright, and now a producer. I worked in New York City during COVID. When I heard theater was going to be down, I immediately was thinking of my friends, and what are they going to do? If I can literally help someone in theater, then I've done my job. Hi, my name is Michael Moses. I'm an orthopedic surgery resident at NYU. Uh, I've always been very passionate about music and theater. My name is Mary Claire Giroux. I am a New York City Parks Ambassador, which means that I distribute on a daily basis face masks, hand sanitizer, and gloves. My name is Dan, and I am an emergency room physician in Boston. I'm really excited for the opportunity to be part of this project. I'm Catherine Boyle, and I'm an ICU RN in Redwood City, California. I am a full-time registered nurse. For somebody like me who has wanted to do Broadway shows in New York ever since she was big enough to walk and talk, this is a big deal. I've met some incredibly talented nurses and physicians and people who work in healthcare. Uniting the world, support and uplift theater workers everywhere. That is such a cool project. I um thank you so much. It's been uh it's it's been um it's been a, a, a really fun process. Uh, to actually uh, go from start to finish, because uh, um, it, it really came out of nowhere. Um, the creative uh, director, uh, Michael Merritt, he and I go back to like 2012, 2013. Uh, we met on stage32.com, and um, he was uh, producing a, a, an original musical at the time. And uh, we haven't spoken in a few years, a little bit off and on, um, but uh, he wanted to start doing that show again. And then COVID happened, and then all of a sudden everything gets shut down, and then all of a sudden Bravehearts for Broadway um, he uh, wants to do, and now it's just like everybody is backing up that one project now more than ever. And so he brought me on, and I got some members of the AFC on, and we built up a lot of momentum and rapport. And the, the I, I don't know if it was just like God's timing, and I really think it was because the Broadway community is 100% for this. The Actors Fund is 100% for this, and all of their resources, they're helping. And it's just perfect timing. So it really comes down to Michael and his vision and anything we could do to help and make it happen. That's awesome. And I know you guys have gotten some really good traction. And uh, I know that that video was put up very, very recently. I'm going to get the current view count on that because, 20, you know, 24 it's hours, maybe. 24 hours. Yeah. And you guys have roughly, come on, YouTube. Come you on. guys have like 554 plus whoever was watching on here's views, which is amazing. And it shows right. how interested people are in like, you know, supporting Broadway and just, you know, I feel like Broadway in particular is a very, a very unique kind of entertainment. And there's a lot of people that are diehard Broadway fans and getting the opportunity to uh, help the, the Broadway community is really important to them. Oh, 100 percent. Um, like Broadway, I got to give a lot. Uh, this is like a little like uh, my thank you to it, because it, I would not be an actor today if it weren't for musicals, because uh, I got my start um, in college uh, doing my first musical when I was 21 years old. It was an elective. I gave it a shot. And next thing you know, I did three musicals in three months, bit by the bug. And the next thing you know, ah, president of the AFC. So we all started <laughs> with uh, show tunes and that. Uh, I grew up watching musicals. That was my grandmother's favorite thing in the world and for us to do at grandma's house, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, uh, Pacific. What else was it? The King and I. 
come on. Like I grew up watching all the MGM <laughs> growing up. I was, we saw every single one. My Fair, uh, my fair Lady, the, everything. And Gypsy. That's awesome. That one of my favorite ones. Yeah, Gypsy was probably one of my favorite. Yeah, I'd say that. That's awesome. On that. I, I really, I love, I love watching live shows. Can't afford it, but I love watching them. Well, that's when you go and rush and you wait online. I, I'm also a big musicals fan. Uh, many people know this. I have a giant uh, DVD case over uh, this way in in the uh, the room that I'm currently in, and it is about 80% musicals. I got, and, uh, <laughs> I got Broadway on my wall. Oh, there you go. There you go. Phantom of the Opera and Cats. That's <laughs> Cats is the one musical I haven't wa like watched the adaptation of yet, but that's a whole other conversation. Oh, um, <laughs> So you mentioned that you acted in a musical and I do know that you are involved in acting. So like what, what you, you mentioned, uh, obviously that you did some musicals in college, but what types of things have you been doing in the past couple of years in terms of acting? Uh, being a husband, that's been, uh, that's been the role of a lifetime. No doubt about it. Um, in terms of acting, it's been, it, there's been, uh, it's been challenging. Um, trying to develop a career and get just getting your expenses uh, covered. You live in the most expensive, one of the most expensive cities mm -hmm. in the world, not counting Ireland, apparently. So um, it, it's really hard to make a living as an actor in New York City, especially without representation. But um, I have gotten a, um, very unique breaks um, since uh, ever since I got married. Uh, I got very lucky uh, working on Good Time with the Safdie brothers. Um, that was uh, that was a very big break that kept me in the game a little bit. Um, since that time, uh, I've been more focused on uh, creating my own content. Uh, mm -hmm. because, uh, from from everything you really hear from the mentors, the mentors in the business, where it, what it really comes down to, it, it's not just it's not just luck, and it goes a little bit more than just about who you know. It, it's really a matter of that time in between that develops a, a, like some grit and tenacity, because this is this is a long term career, it and it really helps develop you know, your, your, your soul strength to want to be a part of this and keeps the actor alive because you got to really want it. You do. It, and it really does contribute to your work and your craft. So um, I've been focusing on writing um, and uh, I started creating a project uh, about New York City, FDNY before 9-11. Uh, I had a book that was given to me uh, by Chris Edwards. He worked with my father. My father's FDNY, first responder. And I actually uh, did not become a firefighter. I told my dad, like in 2012, that my heart is really in, in this. I, I would have loved. I, honestly, I, I would have loved to have been a firefighter, and I would have loved to serve the city of New York in that manner. I really would have, but there was just something in here that said that that's not my path. Um, but I would like to really tell a story about it because I grew up in the firehouse. I, mean, I know, I know that world very well. So um, I created a story called Fireland. Uh, it was a feature film, but the book was way too big. Uh, I had to just spread it out, and now it's 10 episodes. could be more. And I think with the right resources, uh, this would be a really good story to tell about what the FDNY was like uh, during the 90s, right before 9-11. You could just compare it to the last 20 years on how it's different. And uh, it's, I think, my responsibility, um, not just as a son of a first responder, but as a millennial for our generation, um, it's our responsibility that we do not forget 9-11. Um, and uh, this is a story that I think I could tell uh, tastefully that'll keep America reminded that we will never forget something like this. And uh, we're never going to forget the people who did um, sacrifice and die that day. I think that that's great. And I love, I love when people have insight into different fields like I if I wrote a vid like a video or a, a movie or something about a firefighter like I wouldn't know the struggles of firefighters but if you wanted to watch something about an amputee I, I grew up around uh, orthotics and prosthetics so I would know kind of the struggles of an amputee and okay. I think that especially right now is a really relevant time to be working on this project because we are also in another kind of giant like national uh like piece of history right now which is uh you know not not a positive part of history but you know it, it's a it's something everyone is going to understand and be like oh i know about COVID 19 in like 20 years because if you think about it 
we're almost at the 20 year mark of 9-11. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, 20 years from now, what happened during COVID-19, God only knows what's going to happen. It's so hard to even imagine me being 20 years older, you know, but um, it is historical. Um, it really does. Uh, it A lot of things are going to change, especially with us, the millennials. We're going to have to be fully responsible for this country um, 20 years from now. It's up to us now to really um, not uh, take over, but to really take charge. Um, and, uh, I think this is a, a very good time, uh, where everything just stops, where you could actually really take a look at what your personal values, values really are and keep those, um, alive and have them take precedent in order for us to get to where we have to go collectively. And I think this is a blessing. Uh, like I said before, like things did have to stop in order to change. And right now there's a lot of things that we don't know about, like, Cars were really like uh, not not driving for three months. So carbon emissions, there's going to be so many little, little tiny little details like trash. All everything is going to change. And now is now's the time to actually reflect on everything and put things into perspective because we do have to make some serious adjustments um, to continue our way of life. And we're going to mm -hmm. have sacrifices. We are. But it, but it is for the greater good, because 100 years from now, we, can't, we cannot keep this up. Not even 20 years from now. We cannot keep this up. Mm -hmm. I think that that. There, there's a lot to, to think about in uh, what you just said, because there's so many things that are coming out these days uh, that you that people are just educating themselves on because it wasn't something in their forefront. They were just going to work and they were living their lives. And now, uh, especially with forums like what we're doing right now, you're you're learning. Uh, this one happens to be more so about, you know, filmmaking, but you're still learning and you're still learning about the different facets of how how is filmmaking going during COVID nineteen or how is thing are things changing and like how are you getting involved and like what you said you're working on uh, a piece that is before nine eleven like it's just it's really interesting the world that we live in because it, it, getting perspective is a, I feel like a lot easier these days because since a lot of people are home you have to put your perspective out there. And I love that you're doing that with uh, the, the film that you're writing. That, that's awesome. I mean, for me, I think uh, this whole COVID was a little bit more of a gift because it gave me an opportunity to slow down because I started this project in 2016 and I've uh, been uh, writing and researching, developing, coming up with the whole story. And I can't believe like it's it's it. it I am so sick of this. Like and uh, it makes sense. I took a master class with Ron Howard and he's and uh -huh. he about the process of filmmaking where it's like mm -hmm. I'm sick of it. You're, at, you're on the brink of actually doing it, um, basically, because that's how deep involved you really have to be in this. And it's just like, you ever eat too much chocolate? That's how I feel. <laughs> but no, um, this was the best time to really just focus on uh, the approach of doing it, because um, prior planning prevents piss poor performances. Yes. So this is, this is where it's really a benefit to just prepare for the uh for the opportunity and it is the 20 year anniversary of 9 11 i hate to even call it an anniversary but it's been 20 years and um this is something that i think uh it's not about the money and i have a non we have a non-profit this is something in a filmmakers club that we could do um on our own uh mm -hmm. it, we, i'm sure it would not be cheap but i think this is something that i think wholeheartedly i wouldn't want to be privatized in a, in, a, in a manner of speaking. This is something I think, honestly, if America wants something like this, it's a, I know it's a beautiful story. Like it is a great story. Mm -hmm. I think the donations will come and then we'll just, we'll, we'll tell the, we will tell the story truthfully. We're, mm -hmm. It's going to be the nineties. It is going to be that culture at that time, at a point in history. That's good. It's going to be the truth. I love that. And if there is any parallel drawn between the projects that you're working on right now, because uh, for those of you ha who are tuning in later, uh, Phil is working on a Broadway related project. And there are a lot of people that are involved in that. And I think that if the information of like, hey, we're working on this film and we really want to do it right, I think people would love to get involved. So keep working on that. And I, I would love to kind of ask you a couple of questions about like the writing process. Like sure. what, what is like uh, in terms of like how you went about it, like how, because a lot of people like their, their biggest thing is like actually sitting down to write. Like uh, how do you get into the mindset for mm -hmm. writing? 
it, it is such dynamic from acting and like uh, I did four four full years of intense acting training mm-hmm. and it, it burnt me out. Um, and uh, in my last year of studying at the Neighborhood Playhouse, where um, I finished uh, my education in 2012, um, that's where I discovered writing was a very, very good outlet to get things out. Because all I did was consume for four straight years. Mm-hmm. And I, di- I did have a, um, more of an, a knack for writing and storytelling, because I just, I don't know, I, 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 if it keeps my attention, that's because it's a good story. Um, but as far as writing, it has to be something that's of you, for you, what you really believe in, what you actually care about. Um, more, I guess FDNY, that's more, more of the things that I care about because I love my dad so much. It's mm-hmm. just like that, that automatically just feeds my soul. But um, it really comes down to what it is you're trying to write. And I, could, I can't do a master class, but I can give really good advice. Don't, you always start um, with what's on your mind at the time. And literally, it's it's going to be a shitty first draft the first time. Um, all the work that I've ever done, it was never. It was horrible. Like, um, ugh, it's. I think I think it's horrible now. It's not, but I think it is. Um, but uh, it it has to it has to just come from where it's at right now, and you have to process it and digest it because it's always going to come out in waves, mm-hmm. and it is like the ocean. And there's going to be storms. It's going to be coming back and forth. I don't believe in deadlines because the stress doesn't matter you're serving the story you know and uh i i took aaron sorkin's master class and i took um david mammoth's master class and they they like i took specific things from both of them and it was like 13 hours worth of stuff and that's what i do i just absorb and whatever sticks is meant to be Mm -hmm. so sometimes when you want to tell a story the man said like if it if that scene the scene, not the dialogue, but if the scene does not serve the story, it doesn't belong there. So there has to something has to happen in a scene in order to carry the story forward. The dialogue and all that stuff, that's just that's that's song and dance. Mm-hmm. But there's an event. There's something very specific, an event that will always take place in a scene that contributes to the the structure of the story. Because that's what you're telling. You're telling a structure and a construct of a tale. All the dialogue and stuff, there's a couple of good one-liners, and you could really sum up an entire movie either in one line or one scene, and that's it. That's the whole film. So start start with anything, honestly, and then just it's – a, it's a leg – guys, you're, you're working with Legos. It's It can look like a castle if you have a castle in your head, but you really just start have to – you have to start building blocks. I love the analogy and I love that all of the things you're saying are wonderful, by the way. But um, (laughs) I love that this also translates into a lot of what I do. Not that I don't ever work on like films, uh, but even when I'm working with a business, if someone says, oh, we should get a shot of this. And I'm like, where where does that fit in with the story that we're telling of your business? I know that you have an ice cream machine over there, but are people coming into your your steakhouse for ice cream? Like that's my that's my analogy. Um, right. For for yours yours was better with the Legos, but yeah, it's part of the story. But it's part of the story, and even if you're working in a commercial setting, you're still telling a story. You're telling the story of this business and why people should be coming here. And that that translates over to basically any kind of storytelling, whether it's written storytelling, whether it's like podcasts or like radio shows or film. And I love that, like you, you kind of stress that, like, if it's meant to be there, it's meant to be there. If it doesn't help the story, it shouldn't be there. And, you know, people, I feel like get hung up so much on dialogue. I mean, it's hard to talk like someone's speaking, but like. And that's the other thing in movies. Nobody talks like that in real life. They don't. That's the part where it's just it's completely song and dance. They don't they don't light a cigarette on like on like on action and just go down talking about the line and then just try to pull in just a little bit so nobody else hears exactly what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And then finishing the sentence. (sighs) (laughs) So no nobody does that unless you're Phil Capadora. I do that, but that's not (laughs) that's funny. But it, it's a really, like, you know when you get a piece of information and you're like, I know this as a fact, but mm-hmm. it doesn't sink in. I think that's one of those situations where you're like, I mean, it's a movie. I know that people don't talk like that, but I'm writing my movie and I want people to talk like normal people. But, like, I feel like normal 
speaking is subjective to whoever is watching it also. Yeah, because nobody's going to connect to it if it's not like a part of their whatever essence they are, their dignity or, mm -hmm. or themselves. How about themselves? <laughs> this is very true. <laughs> not and other words, really not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I think that it's it's a good point for for both the dialogue and for the the scenes because a lot of people like I even know I'm I am much more of a producer director than I am a writer in mm -hmm. all ways, shapes, or forms. And also, I am like a really awkward actor. I can I can talk on a web show and I can interview people, but if you put me in front of the camera and say do this, I the lines just go whoo, and I'm just yeah. like. What did you want me to do? We're going to be here for a little while, guys. There but, um, <laughs> yes, and that actually ties back to exactly what I was going to say. I really enjoyed the fact that you mentioned that you're taking all of these classes and you are educating yourself and you are building that wealth of knowledge that's going to make you valuable on any set. Um, so like, I, I would love to hear your philosophy on continuing education. <laughs> It, well, honestly, like uh, my biggest dream in life was to go to the NFL. Um, I was uh, a fine. I was fine. I was I was I wasn't I wasn't fine. I was I was good. I was good. Um, uh, my position was a middle linebacker and I was just in the action on every single play. And um, it just, uh, uh, I just never got an opportunity to go to college. It, it just, uh, it just wasn't in the cards for me. I did try, uh, but it just wasn't, it just wasn't there. And uh, when it comes to actually taking like uh, my entire youth, that discipline, uh, that commitment, there was some sort of common denominator of the thrill of being a football player and being an actor. I, I can't explain it, but there's something identical in like in the process. Okay where maybe it just wasn't a it, maybe it's like the adrenaline of like actually being on stage or on camera that like maybe not matches like the the kind of know. adrenaline i don't there's, know but there there's this element that i just don't know how to like identify yet but um to answer that question uh i was always physically prepared uh for the uh for the game uh you rehearsed of course you would practice you were, there was blocking and there was literal blocking. So all of these little things did amount to sort of like this, I guess, transition into the theatrics. But um, if you were to go to the NFL and even at 33 years old now, um, from that time you started, from the time until now, there are muscles. There are spiritual muscles that the actor uh, needs to be completely in tune with. There are theatrical muscles that the actor completely has to be um, prepared with. And they have to, they have to be sharp. And from that discipline, from that training develops a lot of instincts. Um, and I'm not saying that you have to read a play a day, although that's beneficial. It, there's plenty of great material out there that you could really take something from. But there are certain practices where different kinds of uh, techniques can really contribute to your life and your craft overall. And a good example of something would just be like daily rituals, understanding who you fill or you, uh, Celia, are as a character. Um, you, could, you could be paralleled. You can be. Um, it's not going to be an easy process, but you can't, there can be parallels of us and other people call it embodiment, but acting, it's just behavior. Um, there's certain characteristics and behavior from training and observation that other people can do to sort of mirror us, but it starts sometimes with the daily ritual and your, your habits, your little nuances, your tics, all of these little things that make you your unique and wonderful self. And uh, Uta Hagen was a good uh, approach to kind of understand where you're at right now to understand yourself in order to actually kind of bridge the gap because that's what acting is. It's all, it's a game of bridging, you know, I that can probably sense. sum up that story a little bit better, but um, it's okay. No, it makes a lot of sense. And, and I, I agree because I, I actually like part of my major in college, I, I went for film and television production surprise. Um, <laughs> I had to take an acting class and uh, it, it was it was interesting to see it from the other point of view it, because 
uh, one of the exercises that we did was you had to pick a, a character from a, a play, a movie, a real life, what it, whatever it was. And I picked Cher from Clueless because, you know, Clueless is an amazing movie. Um, Cher was the name of Clueless? Oh, that was the name of the main Cher actress. was the name of the main actress, yes. The main, the main uh, actress. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, I love Cher, like, with a, a deep passion, like Cher, no. like the, the singer. But um, <laughs> she no. was my number one played person on Spotify last year. Um long story but uh after love i do (laughs) but uh in the class we had to do the the person's morning routine so what would share from clueless do in the morning while she was getting ready and that was what we had to figure out and we had to develop the character develop what's important to the character and figure out okay this person clearly has a vanity thing, so she's going to spend a lot of time, you know, getting ready, doing her hair. Well, she didn't, had, didn't like do any text messaging in those days. No, I was. That is the '90s. There is no phone. Going, like she's going right to the computer. She's going to <laughs> it automatically picks out her dress for her. Yes, she probably brought mm-hmm. it because you know, spotless. Read and a book every day, you know. So <laughs> she's not going to actually present herself to the kitchen or anybody in it. Wait a minute, was Paul Rudd in that? Yes, Paul Rudd looked exactly the same in that. Oh my god, that was him. Oh my god. I forgot I completely forgot about that. So yeah, Cher would prepare herself mm-hmm. in just whatever and get ready to go see Paul Rudd, her stepbrother. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Kind half brother. <laughs> yes. Uh it was like the previous marriage something stepbrother but yeah there's a little gray area over there but yes Um, (laughs) yeah they didn't really address that part in the movie but you know uh it was it was like a a plot line that you're supposed to forget by the end but um but i thought it was a really interesting thing because that really helped me on the other side behind the camera to be like what are the important parts to capture yeah the character right so i think that whether you are behind the camera, whether you're in front of the camera, whether you want to direct someone on the camera, mm-hmm. it's really important to learn these different kinds of nuances. And you you named out a couple of like master classes that I have I personally have seen ads for. <laughs> I got a couple of different ones. I got like a video business one and um, a viral marketing one, which was cool. Yeah, yeah. I got, um, I'm gonna watch every single one of those probably before COVID is done. You know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's really important for people to take the time to learn from others, because especially with what you just said, by the time COVID is done, you want to be in a better place. You want to be in a more knowledgeable place. I know like I'm, I've been doing a lot of branding on here. I've been doing a lot of shows. And, you know, hopefully after all this is done, people will remember, hey, she did stuff during this and she knew about all these different topics and was able to talk about these different topics. Maybe we can work with her. Or maybe she can create something really cool. Who knows? 62 was her best one. I know. And, you know, Phil is now going to be on every single episode. No, can I? (laughs) You're welcome to come back. But uh, I don't want to inundate you with every single episode. But, Um, um, I mean, we could talk about so many different things. And uh, mm -hmm. spend an hour just to get away from my life for a second is amazing. Because I am am essential worker. I do work for, uh, uh, for Costco. That's my... That's my bread and butter until, God willing, I actually am a working actor in the city of New York. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like I said before, being a husband, rolled a lifetime, wouldn't, wouldn't trade it for anything. We got two great cats. We got a beautiful apartment. Um, life is taking its course. And I'm actually, you know, just uh, just do, I'm just doing my thing and uh, I'm preparing for that opportunity, you know, and uh, maybe just to kind of swing back. Uh, it is important, I think, um, that you do have a library and an archive. Every actor should. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I got like maybe over 300 books, um, yeah. over a hundred audio books that I've listened to. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I was a horrible student. I really was. My GPA was less than 2.0 in high school. I just hate, I didn't like that. That was not my stage. That wasn't how I learned. Um, but I love learning. I love education. Just not, I guess, just not in that construct. Uh-huh. And uh, I think um, what it really does come down to, to kind of tie into being a director it is important that you guys maybe have an understanding on the approach of acting and the different techniques. And there's a combination because every actor is uniquely and wonderfully made. Um, some te- techniques are going to bring them into a character a little bit easier than others. And it's important uh-huh. that directors actually are familiar with all of them. 
but it really does come down to as well as your knowledge understanding what the character is really about because that interpretation visually we can't we the actor cannot see what you see it's all in your head but there are certain mannerisms and behaviors that we can do but it really comes down to just dialogue and definition and synonyms i think that's really where we're missing each other in translation because i haven't worked with a bad director ever um but the sort of i guess it comes with experience there's some sort of like we're missing each other and sometimes only an acting coach or an ad could really kind of bridge that gap you need a solid team a director needs uh, a team that just they could just translate very quickly you know I agree. And on the crew side as well, like if we don't understand like what you're saying, we're not, you're not going to get that shot the first time. Uh, Like in terms of like uh, directing, I've worked with uh, a couple of different people. And one of the things that usually is the problem is the communication because maybe you haven't worked with them before. Maybe they're not, they're not verbalizing what what's in their head and they're telling you the beginning and the end, but not the little piece that's important in the middle. So that's one thing that's super important on a set, which is, communication just in general between everybody because we're all working towards one big thing whether it's uh, a film a short film or you know trying to make a uh, doctor's office look nice <laughs> I, you know that i actually uh <laughs> that's kind of funny um i actually uh my one gig that i had for the last five years uh, that kind of just you know kept my acting muscles alive i was actually doing real life simulations for uh uh, a hospital it was an old hospital that became a doctor school so i would uh, often play these characters that would actually be uh, uh patients that the doctors would then in real life have to sort of com- uh, communicate on how to actually train a real person i would have to study all the symptoms i uh, wouldn't have to do like real it couldn't act it was so it was really hard not to just i'm sick <laughs> um, yeah. then, oh my god my headache <laughs> but all every single detail that you did give all these little clues we really we really did have to educate them based on this data because it, there was anything could go wrong with that type of and i think it's very important um especially it was a benefit to me to learn this because there are certain uh well-being uh state of mind and state of body that a mm-hmm. character is currently in right now that maybe the actor is completely overlooking there are certain symptoms that we could even be overlooking. So that that just uh, four-dimensionalized my entire process of building a character, doing something like that. Because yeah, you want you want that doctor's office to look fantastic. Mm-hmm. You, you you need a you need a patient in that in that space. Yes, you need a patient, and you need a patient that, if it is an actor, understands like you just said. Like, okay, I'm going to. I'm just going to use this because I've actually shot this many times, a chiropractor's office. I'm going to be the patient that comes into the chiropractor's office because my neck hurts. But what does that actually feel like? What does that actually do mentally? Because I know as someone that had neck problems, I went to the chiropractor for many years now, many years being like two, three years. Um, And (laughs) (laughs) hey, it solved my problems. But Someone who isn't getting sleep because you're you're having migraines. Someone who you know it, it, because you have tension in your neck is always just on edge because you have this constant dull pain is going to act different than someone that just is like, oh, ow, my 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 neck hurts. Let me just touch my neck because you know that's where the pain is. Like it's, so it's a whole exactly. There's a whole. I would say like it's an it's another dimension of the character. And just because maybe you're playing patient doesn't mean that you don't put that time into the character just because, you know, patient doesn't have a name. You know, I I I have to share that this story because we're on this subject. And um, from 2014 to 2016, I was getting I wouldn't say nowhere, but uh, I I wasn't I'm not known as an actor. Um, I literally just asked my Alexa yesterday for the first time who is phil capadora and she knows it now a week ago she didn't know and i've been talking to her for a year and a half you know but here's what happened um in 2014 because i i hated background acting i just it took all the passion and all the joy of all that training just completely out of the art form you know but- wait before you go further explain what background acting is just for people like like what is the experience 
Um, so basically, like uh, in my experience, it was to pay rent and eat because <laughs> uh, they provided you with food. That was a big reason. Yeah, I'm gonna be there. But um, uh, in certain things, uh, like you have the you have the main main actors, main people in the story, but then there's like people in the village or people in the hospital room that are just sitting around, kind of just filling that space, making it realistic. Those are called that's called extra work. That's background work. Mm-hmm. So on one magical day, I was uh, cast in, or I wasn't even cast. I was uh, brought into this uh, show called The Affair on Showtime. And I think it was in late 2015. I hated everything. And even like around that point in my life, just like I hate it. I hate everything. Um, And I wanted to get fired. I don't know why, but I even said, I'm going to do, I'm going to get fired today. I know it. I don't know where all this energy was coming from, but I was imploding. So I was an orderly for the day. And we're doing the scene. Um, I had to fill out my paperwork and I tried to just be calm, write my little activity. I walked around the room, talked to a little kid with a broken arm. His name is Travis in real life. I said, how'd you break your arm? I didn't. It's fake. Just, just make it up so I can write it down. So um, while this whole scene is going on, uh, Noah Soloway, I think it was, uh, comes in with his son. He just had the Yankee game. He's throwing up green. It's really gross. Um, the doctor says, get me a Gertie. So what did I do? I go and get him a Gertie. He touches my chest, looks me in the eye and says, take him to Bay 4 and I want to get fired. So I said, copy that. Excuse us. I didn't have a line for the day, but the director loved it. And I went from making $70 um, that day for the whole day to $905 for the day. I wanted to get fired. Yeah. And they give me a grand. And then I become a SAG must join right then on the spot. That's awesome. Like really cool. I want to get fired and they pay me a thousand dollars. Hey, that's a great day. And I mean, that's that that realistically, like maybe that doesn't work for everyone, but that worked no. for you. And I mean, it, it depends on how you're carrying yourself and how you respond in the situation. Because if you just were like I was I was see the thing was for me and why why it worked is because that would happen in in that scenario and the director uh-huh. would know that. And honestly. I don't know. Like something else was a part of that because the second, the first AD came up to me and said, that could have went either way for you. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you could have gotten fired. I'm like, I know. I still would have gotten paid 70 bucks though. And I already ate. So yeah, it it did come to a point where, um, background acting, it wasn't really, um, something about it. It was like, it was helping me stay afloat. And from Mm -hmm. here, I was, I, I had to couch surf for over a year and a half in Astoria Queens before I finally started getting some stability and it happened right after um, that whole orderly scene. Um, mm-hmm. I got uh, to go on tour for um, a play. And right up until I uh, finished that play, I had just met my wife. And then all of a sudden, life just started getting better. And then it's just like, okay, you know your shit. Let's get your life together. And acting, you want to do this until you're 90, right? And I'm like, of course I want to, I want to do this until I'm 110. So this is the part of your life where you have to prepare to become 110 years old. So this is where we are now. I I like that you like are are kind of giving everyone like a real perspective on this because it's it for most people it doesn't happen overnight. Like you need to know someone somewhere high up for it to quote unquote happen overnight. So um, yeah. like it, there <laughs> there's just no way around it. Uh there's a lot of, you know, struggling maybe not struggling struggling but also like uh you you see where i'm going with this there's a lot of hard work that goes into being an actor and some people just think oh like you just show up and you just say a few things like that's that is the most surface level version of that job that you can kind of describe it as but if you think about all of the things that we've spoken about so far we spoke about uh learning different techniques we spoke about creating different levels in the characters we like there's so many things that go along with acting and there's also the level of risk which you kind of said in that last story uh like one story i mean yeah (laughs) but see that's the thing though like uh uh, to me like i don't i didn't really idolize anybody growing up i had my favorite performers my favorite actors and when you're you know in intermediate school you have to do a book report um, and I did my book report on Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, <laughs> like, I think in the late nineties, he was kind uh-huh. of like America's, uh, uh, guy. I remember like in, uh, the last Bush administration going to the Clinton administration, he was sort of like the world spokesman of health. 
good, and as he should have been. And I remember growing up through that. And Arnold Schwarzenegger, of course, he always left an impression on me. Uh-huh. But um, I, I fast forwarding, it's like to your point, yeah, like overnight success and all that and all that. But if somebody were to do a book report on you for an A, a B, or a C, what would that look like? If you could do a book report on yourself, even now, what would that look like? Try to get an A. And what if you were to actually submit that, the book report? And I could I, I could probably make um, a one-man show called The Book Report and just literally show, okay, here's how I got here. And I would tell you the story from the day I got hurt from being a union iron worker here in the city of New York, having gone from almost the week before supposed to be actually working on the Freedom Tower, laying the foundation in the steel, from being completely handicapped, forced to go to college just so I could get insured. And then next thing you know, full circle, able to tell stories about it truthfully. If I were to do a book report and a one man show about that specifically, I would win a Tony. Or else I, I would- think you just came up with the idea that's going to change your life. <laughs> it could, you never know. But, uh, you know, we can we can do a production of it live on Facebook. We uh, could. <laughs> we could. This is the world we live in now. That would actually be a fun little concept, you know. The it's not reality show, but it's it's a one man show from home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. That's a cool concept. Just get one wide, one close, switch it back and forth, and you got a movie. <laughs> I got cats and I got two cats. My wife is gone eight hours out of the day. We could run it two, three times. Perfect. Fix it in post, and we're good. So. I have a question for you, and this is like this is totally an opinion because we don't know. In the future, like with the way that the world is, like where do you see like acting and filmmaking going? Like what is what in your opinion is one of the next steps? Because my for me, I think that one of the big things is obviously live streaming. Uh, that's gonna I feel like live streaming and content whether it's people acting and things along those lines online is going to take a big surge for a while because of coronavirus, but mm-hmm. whether it's in-person shoots, whether it's Broadway, whether it's online, where do you think everything's kind of moving towards? It kind of feels full circle, but you know, um, like I always imagined, uh, like maybe actors would be rendered obsolete due to animation and technology. Um, and in a respect, it would give directors a little bit more creative control to specifically tell the story more authentically, but it wouldn't serve the audience quite well. I mean, there's certain things you could do to maybe prove a concept, but technology does influence an art form. Mm-hmm. Um, it, all, it always does. Like uh, goes right down to sculpting, clay, chisel. Three, we're, we're, we're in the world of 3D printing now. Yes. I love 3D printing. I am a, uh, a huge fan of 3D printing. I was a, I was a technician for um, about a year um, uh, during my f- uh, first year of marriage. I was a 3D printer technician. I love the technology. There's so many things possible to do with it. But I think it's actually um, a curious thing what we can do because now the audience is forced to be at home. We're taking the, hum- uh, the human element out of the art form a little bit, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to suppress or change or cause a bubble or a surge or anything like that. I think it's going to give maybe just a little bit more of a, a surge and people hungry for it. Mm-hmm. Sense, I think there's going to be so much risk in uh, all the investors, all the producers to really try to do some really risky projects and uh-huh. talk about some of the unwanted topics uh, that have not been discussed before in mainstream media and in the independent across the board. I think we're actually, we're, it's not going to be a shit show, but I really think there's going to be a lot. I don't, I don't believe that. I think that mm-hmm. people are going to really now take an absolute chance in telling what they want to tell authentically and truthfully. And it's going to hit us like a wave because right yeah. now everything has stopped but like the current that you can't stop the ocean you could suppress it but that wave is just going to get higher and higher and once that dam gives out it's going to come it's going to come back to the shore with a vengeance you know mm-hmm. i really think there's going to be uh, uh so many different things are going to change i really do believe there's going to be a difference in changing um how we actually uh 
go about making our stories? Uh, is it going to be strictly about what happens in society? Possibly, but I really think it's going to come down to uh, the people who are right now preparing for that opportunity and the stories that they want to tell. And those are the stories that we're going to see. But not only that, um, those are the ones that are going to stick and the ones that we're going to want to talk about. Because like we hear about these overnight successes, that is dead. They're like that, that does not exist. It, it, it does not exist. And Instagram influencers, they don't actually contribute value to certain things. Maybe they do somewhere, but not, not really. Not, when, not, not sustainably. You'll be here for a second. And just as fast as you were here, there's got to be something that keeps you around sustainably because there's more, there's more, to this, there's more story to tell. Um, and I think right now is a good opportunity for people to really invest in their education. And not only that, it's going to just really make or break you right now because mm -hmm. if if it is your destiny to be even around something as amazing as the arts to filmmaking especially because it's a phenomenon a hundred years ago we didn't have this it, i'm looking into a magic box where there's two people talking and we're live yep. that, that like so there's a lot of things we could take for granted but maybe uh we're not really prepared for but i think like well i think we're prepared for we're, this is what we're born for and to do but all of this stuff is instrumental, they're tools, and I think a lot of new things are going to be exposed to create new kinds of story. And I think it's just, honestly, we're living in the past right now and the future at the exact same time. In our, in our culture right now, we are, so, we are way too dependent on foreign, um, on foreign trade just to keep our way of life sustained. And it, I really don't think it's completely about the dollar. I don't. It can't be because money doesn't exist. One of the richest men on the planet, Robert Kiyosaki, if you know him, he says, money isn't real. Blows your mind, right? Mm -hmm. It is. Actually, it's not. Neither is time. Neither is Santa Claus. But it's a construct. So that's what I mean. All of these things, are, There's. I think this is a time where a lot of people could become completely 100% self-aware, you know? And if you really believe that now, why am I here? You're here for a purpose. You're here to serve. And I think story is the best way to serve because that's what actually does outlast. I'm not interested in making money. I have no doubt in my mind. I'm very good with money. I'm very good with money. I have no doubt that I'm going to have millions that I'm going to be giving out more than I spend. I know that I'm going to do that one day. I'm not interested in that. I'm, I'm more interested about in, in making history. And do and you know living by that model than actually making money or having a collection. That's just that's just me, but everybody I think is going to actually show their real their real 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 true nature in this mm -hmm. time. I think filmmakers right now, this is their time to shine. Um, mm -hmm. This right here is all of this is social media. Like we could watch yeah. we could watch ten minute episodes of people's work resume right then and there, right on Instagram on Instagram TV, and keep it short. Start. Mm -hmm. Start and start building momentum and get ready for the feature film. Doesn't even have to be feature film. Tell, tell, tell me a story about how hard it was for putting on a bra, tying your shoes, brushing your teeth. Where are the real challenges in doing that? Because what if there are? Tell the real, like, tell the small story first. You know, that and makes a lot of sense, and it's a great exercise also because if you're able to tell interestingly a story about brushing your teeth. And the, the motivation of brushing your teeth, you're going to be able to translate that kind of uh, that kind of skill in making something that seems mundane into something interesting. And you'll be able to translate that into, OK, now we're going to talk about a larger scale issue. And then <laughs> you can use the same uh, way that you thought about that for that bigger thing. I think maybe I think the point I was trying to prove is that um, given our way of life mm -hmm. up until now, it's very simple to take anything for granted. Uh -huh. And you can even ask, why would you brush your teeth? What you say that about so many other things in like in the arts was like, why would you do that? But, but that doesn't make sense. That would never happen. Yes, it would. Especially if it's like a part of your vision, it would definitely happen. But I think my point is, is that it's very easy to take anything for granted. And if you could actually dissolve the idea of what that is, what what is the opposite of taking something for granted? Help me. I don't know. Taking something for granted versus uh, appreciation. Appreciation. I, it does come down to that because, uh, yeah, it is really about appreciation. 
I wasn't like a year ago, I wasn't the president of the Astoria Filmmakers Club. I don't even consider, I, I know I'm the leader of our group right now and uh, I got a big vision for what it could do. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a nonprofit, so we're gonna be, we're gonna be getting, I don't know how much money in donations, but all of that is gonna be to create content. Mm -hmm. All of that is going to be going to pay all of our crew, all of our writers, all of our actors. So that right there is going to, I think, rep maybe revolutionize or evolutionize uh, the art form in itself and helping with the educational approach. Because, you, like, you're, the only way you get better is by doing. That's yes. it. That's the only way you get better. And this is a platform where I want it to be as free as humanly possible to try to get people better genuinely and authentically. Flossing your teeth. Can you do it that simple versus mm -hmm. now tying a hangman noose around a tree? Tie that well. That's a horrible example, but they're strange. Bad example, but you know, or, people will get yeah, it. <laughs> tying, tying, I don't know, wrapping an, an extension cord. Can you do yes. that? That's hard. A lot of people can't do that. Yeah, no, that's true. They wouldn't let us leave class without us coiling all of the wires. So, uh, yeah, it, there's a learning curve. But Dissolve, I, the granted. Dissolve the granted. Yes. But I think that is a really awesome note to, uh, to you know, kind of wrap up on. And uh, you brought it wonderfully back to the Astoria Filmmakers Club. So for people who are joining in late, how would uh, how would they join the Astoria Filmmakers Club? And what what are you guys uh, are, what are you guys planning for in uh, the near future? Whether that's meetings or larger. I'd like to actually have um, a networking event for the one year anniversary at Kaufman Studio. Um, there's a restaurant called Saks Place uh, underneath uh, the old um, Paramount production studio. And yeah, that was uh, originally Paramount before they went to California. It's now Kaufman Studio. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. There's a lot of history in Astoria, Queens, and it's a, it's it's interesting. There's a there's a potential to actually, uh, you know, resurrect uh, the old and just uh, remind people like the history of filmmaking and a lot of it did happen here in New York, Queens, especially. Mm -hmm. So to join Facebook, the story of filmmakers club, um, like us on Facebook or join the private group, showcase your work and uh, see it, see it hopefully uh, on a zoom meeting every uh, sometimes Wednesdays, every other Thursday, Friday, uh, we'll always have a meetup and we're always doing, we're always doing something. That's awesome. And if someone wants to follow you specifically, uh, where is a good place? Maybe Instagram or uh, do you have a website? <laughs> we, do have a, we have a podcast that we showcase um, about one, uh, once, twice a week now. Um, if you're interested in being a guest in our podcast, you could definitely contact us on Instagram. Uh, you'll, you'll follow us at Astoria underscore filmmakers underscore club, Astoria Filmmakers Club. Mm -hmm. You'll see a little uh, happy aster looking man. Uh, that's uh that's us um so uh you could uh you could email us through instagram as well where that's all set up and uh just if, if you have any questions either myself or somebody on the team will get back to you uh join us on facebook and uh not hard to find awesome so phil i want to thank you so much for sitting down with us today and thank you for being my first guest back after my hiatus i, I really appreciate it <laughs> and uh, I, I, it, you had so many interesting things to say, whether it was about writing, whether it was about producing, whether it's about, you know, just acting in general. There's so many things to talk about on these subjects. And I can tell that you, you one day we'll have you back because, you know, there, there's we could probably go on for three hours about this. So let's see, uh, let's see how the fundraiser goes for uh, Bravehearts for Broadway. Maybe uh, do a little follow up about that and see what we did right. And just yes. Yes. Sounds good. We will we will touch base once that happens. And also we'll be able to show a couple of uh, clips, hopefully, of what you did. But yeah. on that note, I am going to pull you off. I am going to close the show up and then I will talk to you in a second. I will I will I will take us off air and then I will say thank you off screen. So thank you for coming in, everybody. <laughs> happy COVID. Oh, happy COVID. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. Uh, I had a really great time talking to Phil, and I think that we went over a lot of interesting and different topics that we haven't talked about yet on this show. If you guys want to, oh, I just lost my earpiece. That's okay. Uh, if you guys want to watch this from the beginning, it'll be here on Facebook on the Celia Warner Productions page. It will be on YouTube on the Celia Warner YouTube page. It will be on Spotify podcasts. It will be on, uh, what are the other ones? Apple podcasts and SoundCloud. 
And if I figure out any other places, it will be there too. I hope you guys have an awesome rest of your week. And I will be back next week with uh, another guest I will be announcing probably tomorrow. And I hope that you guys are staying safe and healthy. I hope that you have a great rest of your night. I keep saying hope and I hope, 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 hope that we are all able to spend some time together soon. Have a great night and I will see you next time.